Kamala Harris is asking federal taxpayers to subsidize California's high housing costs. The Ninth Circuit protects gun rights and stops confiscation. University of California finances aren't quite what they seem. That's what's coming up in this episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. Good evening, guys. Another week. Another week. Oh, we're on the choo-choo train. You know, uh, John and I were driving up here and we're listening to a little Yacht Rock. Mm, there you go. Some Rick. summertime Yacht Rock. Oh, hashtag me too all the way. I guess way. it's a serious uh, XM channel now, right? Bunch of old fogies. You like your Yacht Rock? You like it? What can I say? We got some good stuff to talk about today. It's true. We got an interesting story to start with that uh, kind of provides a nice intersection between we talk a lot of California. This one is kind of a nice intersection, California Fed, given uh, say uh, uh, federal senators involved in this one, and one of which is our beloved California Senator Kamala Harris. Yes, beloved. Okay, so a lot of this info comes from a, uh, a Reason Magazine article uh, entitled New Kamala Harris Bill Asks Federal Taxpayers to Subsidize California's High Housing Costs. So we've obviously talked on this show before about rent control, and this brings some of that back full circle. It's fantastic. Kamala Harris uh, and then two other, excuse me, three other Democratic senators one of whom is the other California <laughs> Senator Diane. Got to get on board. There's right. an election coming. So we've oh, got- Grandma Feinstein, Granny. I'm going to start calling her that. So we got Kamala Harris. We got Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, and Granny Feinstein from California. They inter- they introduced the Rent Relief Act. You heard that right, folks. So policies that have occurred that may have increased rents. Don't worry. They're here to the rescue with the Rent Relief Act. What this thing's going to do is provide ref- nuts. refundable tax credits, and that one itself is a beauty. Refundable tax credits for tenants who spend more than 30% of their income on rent. Now, for those of you who live in California, you'll understand this. For those of you that don't, let me explain. It's really not that hard in this state to spend 30% of your income on rent. I think that's like a given. Uh, I think right. most people yeah. spend closer to half. Hey, and it includes utilities, too. Right. That's so right. even if you're on the cusp, you, you'll totally get there. And I think the other thing, it's also people in government housing. And government housing cannot be more than 30% of your income. So they're almost guaranteed to now live for free. So the, the stat from the article is, in this state, in California, 58% of renters pay more than a third of their income in rent. Yeah. So you're easily talking the majority. No, I think, and the other thing too, it's in the form of a refund. So even those that have no tax liability get money back. That's exactly right. That's why I highlighted, and that's the key part of this. It's a refundable tax credit. So let's walk through the math for a second. Someone makes, again, this is real straightforward math. Someone makes less than uh, $12,000 a year. Oh, 15, whatever deductions. Then, I'd like to see the person who's not. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, okay. But then, but then the new standard deduction, right? Right. So they're at a tax bill of zero. If they spent more than 30% of their income on rent, which they probably did if that's all they made, they're going to get a check from the government. 
Especially that's, when your utilities factor into it. I think it, that, yeah, that's it's really easy to make you cross that threshold. No problem. No problem. And uh, especially with the, in many areas of this state, right, with the tiered uh, electrical rates, tiered everything. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I, I was talking to I have family members in Washington, and maybe a year ago we were comparing electricity rates and the tiering. I forget what they, where their starts at, but the next tier, each tier adds like 10%. Well, in this I, state, it's like double, no, then double again. Th- that part's not even the normal 30% income. You get a refund. That's not the part that blew me away. The part that blew me away was the government housing part. Cause government housing is already capped at 30. Per, they can't be more than 30% of your income. So you're basically guaranteed to get your money back if you live in government housing. And if, if it's not 30% of your income, then you shouldn't be living in government housing. Right, like mm-hmm. if your rent is only five percent of your oh, income, exactly. then you shouldn't even be in the government housing boat. So, and it's not like they get a tax deduction; they get the refund back. So, essentially, they're paying the government an interest-free loan to then get their money back at the end of the tax year. This makes so much sense for our budget. Well, and they created the problem, right? I mean, we talked about this in the last segment with uh, the illegal citizens voting in school elections because they have skin in the game. Their kids are in the school. They should be able to vote. That, that was a problem created by government when they allowed illegal citizens to go to school without being citizens. We've, we've created the housing crisis at the government level because we haven't allowed builders to build. It's a supply. We've it's regulated supply, the crap out of yeah, building in the state. Supply demand. Right. Those are two curves and they cross. And so, so now what we've done is we've said, hey, there's a problem that government created. And uh, if you spend too much, we'll just give you your money back. Like, wow. The, um, the mayor of San Jose, Sam Licardo, he said, quote, with the billions in tax subsidies allotted to billionaires, and I don't know about you guys, sorry. I, I cannot say that word anymore without a Bernie Sanders accent. Right. In my head, so that's what I'm going to do when I read. Yeah, when I read this, that's what I'm going to do. With the bill, quote, with the billions in tax subsidies allotted to billionaires through last year's tax changes, this legislation provides a refreshing contrast for working families who struggle daily. Now, end quote. Now, I don't know about you, but doubling the standard deduction, which applies to everybody, probably helped. I'm going to guess working families. I. God, I get so frustrated with the fact that people believe that the 1% doesn't pay any taxes. And I hate it when they use terms like loophole because they're using everything that's in the tax code. Exactly. And I don't know of anybody that would willingly not use every advantage that's legally given to them in the tax code. There's a massive difference between tax evasion, bad, illegal, and tax avoidance. The tax code is written. You see it. Everyone could can read it if they want. It's pretty long. But those are the rules. Avoid taxes how you can. Well, don't you can't evade them, but avoid them. And and let's get away from the fact of believing that the 1% are the only people fudging their tax returns. Oh, what was that? The amount of people I know just in middle class world that oh, I can write this off. No, no, you can't. No, I can write this off. No, you can't. I'm not going to quite declare all this because I didn't get a 1099 on it. So who's going to know about it? Well, like the amount of people that that fudge that don't even keep receipts. 
No, I didn't know if you. I don't. I don't know if you heard the 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 legend of this map though. One percent <laughs> equal devils. Ninety nine percent equal angels. Exactly. Exactly. Because we need the oppressed and the oppressor. We always That's have to have a victim and the oppressor in society. Remember, if you feel that you're not paying enough in taxes, you can you only can... send them a check if you want to and say, exactly. you know, I, I didn't need this. Here you go. I, I got in this debate with a super liberal friend, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and uh, said exactly that. People aren't paying their fair share, and we got to stick it to the 1%. And uh, this was when Trump passed his tax reform, and I said, this is awesome. There's some there's some tax stuff in here, du- doubling the standard deductions and things like that. And he said, it's more American to pay your fair share, Louie. These people are now not paying their fair share. And I said, well, then you'll probably be utilizing that box on your 1040 that allows you to contribute more to the tax pool. Ooh. And he said, well, why, why would I pay more tax than I have to? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Epiphany. <laughs> Exactly. Why would any of us pay more tax than we have to? It's like, stop let, right let, there. Let me, let me think about what you just said. Roll it around again. Look, you can, you can show me your patriotism if you just check that box and give Uncle Sam even more money willingly. Let me change the crux. Isn't this the crux of the socialist fallacy in which they can never admit that something, a program of theirs has failed? And thus, they are either forced to confront it or double down on it. Oh, and, completely. Well, we, we heard that with the bullet train. Ex- I was just going to bring that. Ex- that is case in point. Bullet train. They, I have to imagine. We don't still have this. that clip, do we? <laughs> oh, oh, the, the, the gentleman who originally supported it? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I can the, maybe the, I the, it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he basically said that we're too far in to turn back. Therefore, we... We have to finish this thing out. We have to out. finish it. Got to save face here, like, baby. Like it's a poker game and we're pot committed to it. I. Everybody wants to talk about waste and taxpayer money. and But here we can't just say that we can't afford the bullet train or it's not going to be what we think it is. We're too far in. So therefore, we got to just go ahead and pay for it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it kind of rolls back. It's like. Why, why can't we roll these things back if they're bad for us? You know, let's let's just honestly John, just take a look at it. John, you got the clip? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think this is the one you're talking about. Here it is. There is no option of doing nothing. Um, we're going to have more people in this state. The cost of doing nothing means more people stuck in traffic, more airline delays, all these things cost us money. The better deal for the taxpayers is to invest in a modern rail system than to continue to rely on just building more and more freeway lanes. We can't do nothing. We, we, we already popped the cork. You know, a shovel went into the ground. Sorry, done. Moving on. Can't wow. look back. Yeah, all these things. God, I wonder if we we went if you went through a bunch of California legislation. I bet you could find where government originally caused the problem, and then the legislation they came up with that was it's throwing bad policy after more bad policy. I think they said in the article, uh, Americans earning twenty five thousand or less would get a tax credit worth one hundred percent of the portion of their rent that exceeds thirty percent threshold of their income. Again, this is. Because of the what I'll call the barbelling happening in this state, the middle class going away, 
millionaires that's, and billionaires. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah that's right. what happens to socialists. That's right. And so now we have millionaires and billionaires in this state, and you have the those super in poverty. Poor. That's right. Camp City. So this, and you look at two of the four senators I mentioned are from California. This is a tailor-made bill for this state. Back to the point, because of supply issues, this state has incredibly expensive housing, homeless people that can barely, who are in a, in a, in a renting somewhere, barely afford it. They totally, this is totally a bill to support future votes, to support the, well, how the ter- demographic of who would vote for. How Dianne terrible Feinstein. is it that Kamala Harris is asking the rest of the United States to subsidize our problems here in the state. It's a great point. I mean, I mean, how does anybody, I, I don't know how, well, I do know how, but the, the senators who, who signed onto this bill from Connecticut and where was the other one from? Oh, uh, Blumenthal is uh, from, Blumenthal's uh, from Connecticut. Maggie Hassan is from New Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire. Okay. I, I get it that, they would sign on to it with the hopes that they would introduce a bill of their own for their own state. Right. And you know, good for the goose, good for the gander. But how can they honestly look at it and go, Hey, this is your problem. You deal with it. Do we know if this is 30% of your gross suggested or just 30%? I I know what you're asking. I did not see a reference to that in the, because it could be very well, easy to get oh, down. It was no, 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 right. It, right there, <laughs> I, I get the sense a lot of Once checks are going to be flying. Everything else you get, totally. A lot of checks are going to be getting printed on this one. That's because the bill was written in crayon <laughs> with the R reversed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I God that because that that to me that's a game changer. But in the element again, the element of this one, and we talked about this on the last episode. This is a, an air quote, solution to a problem. It's not really a solution, but on its surface, it's a solution to a problem that was caused because of previous solutions to problems that didn't exist or, or previous solutions that have been introduced over the last two, three, four decades. And a and solution just, that is going to get very expensive. Yeah, they're just hoping... The people, and it's, look, why would it not work now? It's worked for the last 50, 60, 70 years, hoping people don't recall and think through the loop of, didn't you kind of cause the expensive housing to begin with? What about, what should we do maybe to fix that so we don't even need this bill in the first place? Right. It's a Band-Aid, if anything. Oh, even yeah. if this works, yeah, it's a Band-Aid. Because the actual problems are not enough housing. Because we've red taped the crap out of building. But let's not try and figure out policy to fix that. Let's just hand out more money that we don't have. I can't help but believe, and, and sometimes I just don't think that they're this forward-thinking, this bright to put all this together. But it's kind of like that, that this was the plan, right? That, that to make it You've got to create the crisis yeah. in order to further the agenda? At the same time, though, I, I hesitate to give them that much uh, insight and ingenuity. I, I can't. No, but but it's it's part of the big government playbook because this is going to need some agency to run it, right? And so now we just keep adding to the to the bureaucracy that is big government. All these programs require a ton, and then you're going to see there's going to be a lot of just scam and wasted money coming out of this program. 
All the programs, all the social welfare programs have a ridiculous amount of waste, especially in the form of scams. I mean, look at Wix, Snap, everything else. They all have this like... Medicare? Yeah, it just becomes this abyss of fraud. And how this isn't going to become fraud, especially when we're saying it's 30% of your income. I'm sure you can finagle your income to get you under the threshold to get you the money. Again, I, I don't know why government is subsidizing your living situation. Or to Bobby's point, why someone in Texas is subsidizing someone in California's rent. That's essentially what's happening. Right. It's a different issue. I'm, I still disagree with it. But if this weren't a, a cross-sectional Fed issue, it's still really stupid, but at least like it stays confined within the craziness that's California. And if Californians want to be stupid with other Californians, okay. I mean, again, not great. But there's 49 other options that aren't touched. This just sp- spreads and props up the stupidness with everyone else's money. And that's just that's just horrendous. Oh, totally. I don't want I don't want to bail out someone who made a dumb decision in Florida. You don't. I I know it sounds uh, heartless of me, but I don't. Well, we're all into bailouts in this country, aren't we? That does seem to be the norm. Yeah. Is that all we got? Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, we could keep talking about it, but we'll talk it to death. Yeah. We. I, the one element we didn't mention in here. Because we talked about it before, and it's coming down the pipeline, the rent control, right? So, yeah, no, I was so, bring so the, that up. the yeah. perfect the perfect storm of that passing. I think that's just, the, the yeah. bubble that's going to burst when that. When you, so you're saying that's going to pass? Now I, I'm not real sure that this bill, because what this is a Senate. I mean, this was introduced into this the Senate. Senate yeah. This ain't going to pass. Well, sure, that's the only thing that's holding it back right. is the fact that it's Republican, you know, Correct. Senate and House. Yeah, so the chances of this Kamala Harris bill that we've been talking about here, the Rent Relief Act, making it through the Senate and coming along, I don't see that happening. At least in its current form, currently, under the current uh, Congress. But She wants to let you know that she is for the people. Is that, the is that little a... little people. Wait, who's that? Is that a Kamala? Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, totally changing topics. This one... It's almost hard to to think Adam? this is true. And I thought this I remember when I first read this Happy days on a headline. Again. again, this is absurd, but I'm about to read a headline and I'm, I this is an accurate headline. It's from the Onion? You would think, but it's not. The Ninth Circuit. Let me repeat that. The Ninth Circuit protects gun rights and stops confiscation. I did not read that incorrectly. I I don't know where they came up with their ruling. I mean, I, I, I agree with it, but I don't get how they got there. Okay, so uh, I'm pulling a lot of these facts, a lot of these statements from, uh, there was a, an article in the National Review and also uh, some statements by the California Rifle and Pistol Association because they were pretty integral in this uh, in this issue. Okay, so... Following the enactment of Prop 63, uh, and, and Proposition 63 was um, uh, the, the, the ban of large magazines. They could no longer be grandfathered in. You had to hand them in, right. I think. It, it's more than 10 rounds, right? Is what oh, that's right. High cap. Thank you. Right. Uh, other states allow for 30-round magazines, whatever. California, 
10 round magazines. They, they banned the sale, new sale of, of large capacity magazines, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that. Right. But the, but the rule was if you had them when they passed that law, you could keep them. Right. This is the takings claw of the U S constitution. Right. But, but then what they just passed with prop 63 a year or two ago, yeah, that wasn't good anymore. We're going to come for those magazines. You need to hand them in or you're busted something. So after the enactment of that, the California rifle and pistol association, the CRPA, their attorney sought an injunction against the magazine possession ban, arguing that the law violated the Second Amendment, as well as the due process and takings clauses, like you said, Bobby, of the United States Constitution. Federal District Court Judge Roger Benitez, he agreed, and he issued a preliminary injunction just days before the law was set to take effect. So, pause button occurred. California, as you might imagine, they quickly appealed that decision. Okay. Funny how they jump on those kind of oh, issues. Oh, no, it's like, it's like why not rise. other ones. Yeah, yeah. No, it's laser fast. Okay. Then a divided panel of the Ninth Circuit Court, again, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a divided panel of judges affirmed last year's decision, last year's federal district court injunction, and it temporarily blocked the enforcement of this conf- confiscatory ban on so-called large capacity magazines. And, and to, to your question, Louis, and, and here's what they said. It merely held that the trial court didn't abuse its discretion when it temporarily blocked enforcement of the law. So they basically just came in and supported the district court judge. Let, let me block. read to you what the Please. court said Please. In, their, in their issue. It says, violent gun use is a constitutionally protected means for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves from criminals. The phrase gun violence may not be invoked as a Talmanistic uh, incantation to just justify any exercise of state power. Implicit in the concept of public safety in the right of law-abiding citizens to use firearms and the magazines that make them work uh, to protect themselves, their families, their homes, and their state against all armed enemies, foreign and domestic. To borrow a phrase, it would indeed be ironic if in the name of public safety and reducing gun violence that uh, statutes were permitted to subvert the public's second amendment rights, which may repeal criminal gun violence and which ultimately ensures the safety of the Republic. Right. And so I think what's really interesting is in that legalese, what they basically said was that the government, uh, the people have a right to form the militia to protect themselves. Exactly. And they put all this stuff into the realm of part of the militia. Right, because they talked about uh, high capacity magazines and having enough ammunition in one magazine can mean the difference between life or death. And if law enforcement has to have that kind of capability, so does average Joe who could be in the same gunfight. And so based on my reading of it, what it basically broke down to was they ruled that you have a right to protect yourself against enemies, foreign and domestic. So they upheld the militia part of the second amendment. And they said that that's not some kind of like moot point now in 2018. And then they said that high cap mags are part of that being able, you know, they roped all that into it. So for the audience, that's like, Oh man, you know, when the founders wrote this, they were talking muskets. Well, the court basically said all this stuff is still in the purview. You know, at least that was my understanding of it. And I think that's what 
that's kind of the big takeaway from it all is, you know, I thought it was a very interesting decision. I was very surprised that it went the way it did. No question. To add to what you were saying, it's, it's kind of an interesting take. Someone at Reason Magazine posited that because magazine bans are not traditional in the U.S., the government had the burden of proving that the ban was lawful. So I guess that that was on the table as well as this isn't the norm. So now you have to prove federally it's not the norm. So now you have to prove why, how doing this, Mr. California, is lawful to do. And that's kind of what you were saying well, when you look at it from the if you if you put yourself in the shoes of someone forming a militia, which is guaranteed in the Second Amendment, how can you stop me from having this? Right is basically what they were saying. The right? The blogosphere was kind of looking at this and saying, well, maybe they were being a little preemptive knowing that once this gets pushed higher, that it's ultimately going to go to the Supreme Court <laughs> yeah, and I, thus I, I struck it. down. Uh, Brett, people were basically saying, maybe to what you're saying, Brett Kavanaugh, this is probably going to be his be first, first case. case. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, right. And, and the article, or the, I, at least um, the, the, le- the, the main one. The, the, yeah, the, the legal quote oh, out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically hammered home the fact that if law enforcement needs high capacity magazines, why wouldn't the average citizen, because they could be in the same exact gunfight, which, and to me, it goes to the same kind of theory of, you know, the the government has a monopoly on violence. Why would we want to give them a a monopoly on certain equipment? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I think Bobby's brought up before when people talk about Trump and he's a, he's a tyrannical dictator. Okay, so you don't want citizens to have guns. You, you basically want, Trump want only it. Trump and the people who serve under Trump to have guns. But aren't right. you saying he's a tyrannical dictator? Right, right. I'm I'm confused. We don't think that far. Oh, clearly not. We don't we don't take our thoughts to their logical conclusion. That's for certain. It's just yeah, it's it's just funny because other people's perception, a lot of people's perception of Trump is exactly why the founding fathers wrote that into the constitution. If, 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 if that is in fact true, what their perception of him is. Right. And I said this, I think in a previous episode, but we, we, in the state we've banned like bump stocks, required bullet buttons, um, trying to ban high cap magazines. And then we fail to take this to its logical conclusion, which is ban guns. That's what they're right. trying to do. You're, you're, yeah. you're trying to ban all the things that play maybe a point zero 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 one percent in any of the violent part. Like, I don't think we saw a bump stock until the Vegas shooter, right? Like, I don't remember anybody ever using a bump stock prior no. to that in no. a mass killing situation. No. Uh, the bullet button, okay, great. It... it it adds an extra step to release your magazine, but chances are the guy who's going to be killing a bunch of people isn't putting a bullet button on his gun. It's probably not even registered. And then we look at high capacity magazines. Look, it doesn't take that long for somebody to swap a magazine out of their gun. And I think part of that is like, if you could have a 30 round magazine or or a couple 10 round magazines, you're still going to cause destruction because the only thing that's going to stop you is somebody else with a gun. And at that point, part of proposition 63 
which this magazine ban was a part of. Another part of Proposition 63 was that it instituted background checks for ammunition purchases. Same point. Someone who wants to do something bad, the fact that they go to Las Vegas, buy ammo without a background check, buy a high-capacity magazine, isn't going to form a conscience when they come back through and get to the border station and someone says, hey, do you have anything you want to declare? Oh, I wish you wouldn't have asked that. I actually have some ammo and a high-capacity magazine or two in the back. Right. I guess I need to tell you about that now. Here you go. Well, and we see in police shootings all the time, it takes a lot of ammunition to bring somebody down. I think we have this magic uh, wand in our head because we watch so much, so many movies and so much television that one shot, one kill, shoot the leg, shoot the arm. Grand Theft Auto. Exactly. And people don't die like that. You don't die until you bleed out. And the quickest way to make you bleed out is to give you more holes for blood to come out of. And as, as gruesome as that might sound... Those are just the logistics. Right. And most people are not marksmen. Most law enforcement are not marksmen. Everybody's hyped up on adrenaline. And and you look at law enforcement, and they go through the simulators all the time. They've got to do their course of fire multiple times a year. These are These are trained people with guns. And then you take somebody who owns a weapon in their own home, and they may never use it, or they might go to the range every every now and then, and they're placed in a situation where they have to defend themselves. They might need more than 10 rounds. And and that's not without, you can get in the weeds and say, do we really want somebody with a larger magazine just kind of spraying and praying? But at the end of the day, they could be up against somebody else who's got more ammunition than them. Like I, I don't think it does enough good to justify the ban, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, this goes down potential rabbit holes, but... I don't know all the details surrounding the Las Vegas incident, but you look at the amount of time that it took to them to get to the shooter, right? Okay, so you have a fancy bullet button, and you can only use 10-round magazines. It, obviously, that happened in Nevada, but let's say that that was here. It, it doesn't take, but, you know, 30 seconds to swap this out. Okay, now you're reloaded. Another 30. I mean, what... Hate to say it, but to your point, what difference is it really making at the end of the day? If if something if someone has pre planned and thought all this out and I get the heart sentiment of it. I get the I get what this trying to be attempted, but it's not just not real world. Well and the the bitter truth of it is that these mass shootings statistically are completely insignificant. You mean in total like death numbers? Yeah, in total oh, in total yeah. occurrence and total yeah. death and right. And the actual major issue is just handgun violence in the inner cities. And that that's not your average, you know, that's not the mass shooter, the Columbines, th- those incidents. It's, it's your just day-to-day violence in the cities. And they're not really using high-capacity magazines. They're, they're unloading a couple in drive-bys or whatever, at close contact. That's why I don't see why this this doesn't make a difference in anything. It's a feel-good policy that doesn't make a difference or change the amount of gun violence at all. Interesting that you brought up handguns because I'm going to give you something you probably didn't read yet. And the same Ninth Circuit District Court ruled that the Second Amendment protects citizens the right to openly carry a firearm outside of your home. It was a two-to-one decision again. It's the case 
called Young versus Hawaii, which of course Hawaii is part of the ninth district. Uh, the constitutional rights were violated violated when Hawaii officials denied uh, George Young the permit to carry his weapon openly in public for self defense. So interesting again that it was the Ninth Circuit that said it's okay for open carry. And this is, of course, going to go to a higher court after after this, once this is um, gone through. But we may see finally that your rights of having um, one set of laws abided by one state is pushed across state lines and where you can continuously open carry or conceal carry or all these other items. Like you're married in one state, thus you're married in all states kind of deal. I, I think it's funny that we just throw common sense out the window when we think I'm probably less likely to get robbed if the person sees that I've got a pistol on my belt. Like I'm probably not the target to go after, right? And people think that open carry makes society more violent. But what we see time and time again is that's actually not true. There was this, God, I wish I could find it. I read it years ago. There was this study that was done. This person basically uh, surveyed prisoners. It was like 3,000 prisoners. And it was asking questions, basically uh, crimes of opportunity. And it said, well, if you, it was all these violent offenders. And one of the questions was, if you thought the person was armed, would you have still committed your violent offense towards them? And it was almost like emphatically no, right? Because they go after the easy mark. They don't want confrontation. I mean, your average like robber with a gun does not want to get in a shootout. Your money or your life. They just want your money. They don't, I don't, there are those killers out there, but your average dirtbag who just wants to rob you or burglarize you, the last thing he wants, I think, is to get into a shootout. If there's odds that you've got a gun, he's not going after that person. It's too much trouble. And I think most of those people really don't want to die. So I've never understood the logic of, you know, uh, taking the guns away from the law-abiding citizens. Don't get, I don't know how that makes the society safer. Tourists are in for a big shakeup when they come to California next go around and they see everybody sporting an AR-15 on their shoulder. Yeah, I'm just, I was just trying to sit here and think what that's going to bring up in terms of the next lawsuit, right? Because somebody's going to see someone with yeah, an AR-15 slung over their back. And that person, I'm just trying to think what the the reason for the suit will be. I've been uh, illegally triggered. I well, No pun intended. Was it Arizona or New Mexico that did open carry full-on Arizona? Oh, I don't know. It's a good one. It, anyway, I remember there was a, uh, a famous picture of Somebody in a Starbucks with an AR-15 on their back or some other kind of uh, long rifle. And, of course, somebody took the picture because they thought they were going to die. But then they went, oh, yeah, we're in the Southwest where you can do that. Oops. Well, that Starbucks was probably pretty safe for that time. It sure was. Probably. I doubt the uh, register got robbed. No. (laughs) But I think they came out later on and said, we don't want to serve people who... Right, yeah, they have open that. carry. Yeah, I think they openly came out. They also would like to have an open discussion with you as they ring you up for your coffee. That lasted like 
three hours. Starbucks is is Starbucks has become one of those entities. It's so big and it's become such a part of people's lives that they can continue to make these gigantic missteps and still maintain their stock value. Oh, totally. You know? I mean, caffeine, drug. Everyone's yeah. going to want it in the morning. Like, okay, you did some stupid stuff. I still need my coffee. Because they continue to just, you know, for lack of a better term, step on their D all the time because they want to, like, be relevant in these political, racially motivated conversations. And they're not. Like, no one cares what they have to say. And I want to see how the whole you don't have to buy a beverage to sit in our store ends up panning out because most inner city Starbucks or Metro Starbucks locations have become just a bastion for homeless. We're going to find out how much people care when Howard Schultz runs for president in 2020. Yeah. Mark it down. Him and Bezos probably. There's your ticket. Oh boy. (laughs) The Seattle connection. Next one. Okay. Topic three. You know, it's kind of funny. I don't think we've Maybe really early on, we briefly talked about this issue in California, but I think we've kind of just not avoided it on purpose, but it's pension time. So it's always pension time. Oh, no, right. <laughs> for, for us as California residents, it's, it's ever increasing becoming pension time. We'll kind of get to that. So the headline reads, University of California finances shakier than cut intuition implies. So this comes from a calwatchdog.com story. In July t- uh, of this year, the um, University of California uh, decided along with, uh, you know, J- Janet Napolitano is now the U- UFC president. Janet Napolitano. Right. The former, uh, she was in the Obama administration. That's right. right? Okay. So she's the UC president. Uh, they, they had an announcement that the total annual in-state charges would drop by about half a percent, which may not, it's obviously in terms of percentage, not a big number, but the fact that it actually got reduced, right? That made headlines. That was kind of big. It ended up being what, like a hundred bucks, something like that? Uh, like yeah. 12, 12, 630 to 12, 370. Uh, yeah. 200, 250, okay. I'm 260. Gonna make it after all. That was nice. Okay. So we should not do any karaoke. <laughs> we should, we should institute our own ban regulation. On this podcast. Oh, man. All in favor? (laughs) It's the two-to-one vote. Sorry, Bobby. Okay. So back in January 2015, this is juxtaposed with just three-plus years ago, UC leaders voted to raise tuition by 28% over the next five years. So that's why partly this half percent was met with some surprise, some encouragement. But the kind of the point of this article is people should not make the mistake of thinking that because this reduction in tuition occurred, that that means that there is fiscal solvency and health within the total UC environment. Um, the article talks about that uh, what UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ, she made a presentation back in January 2018 that essentially asked for more funding. And so, again, this is we're not even into the pension part yet. Chris said her campus had $700 million backlog of needed maintenance. Yeah, I read that. $700 million of needed maintenance just at what, UC Berkeley? Deferred maintenance. Well, was that caused by the students? Well, right. <laughs> a couple of recent... Uh, I was thinking about that. Riots. <laughs> hey, we'll put well, it on a credit card. Did you burn a building yeah, down? Yeah, chairs through windows ain't free, people. Yeah. That's probably what they owe Starbucks. 
So <laughs> that's a great point. So then the San Francisco Chronicle, they reported that every campus, except for the recently opened UC Merced, every campus had at least a hundred million in maintenance needs. And that was, uh, Berkeley had the 700 million UCLA had 677 million. So we're talking over, we're talking multiple billions Billions. In this maintenance. Now, obviously, some of it's going to include they want to replace this building or that building. Or I don't Landscaping can't be that expensive, but I'm sure it's expensive within the UC world, getting contractors and all They're that. They're beautiful campuses, very lush and green. But still, $2 billion in deferred maintenance. Okay. Then you get to pensions. And in the UC system, there's an estimated $15 billion in unfunded pension liabilities. How much? How, what was that? Fifteen billion. Now, how long did they go without yeah, yeah. contributing this to the is, pension? This is where this gets a little tricky, and you would think by now the California voter would be very skeptical for any sort of new tax. Well, that's just my opinion, but hold on. To Bobby's point. They spent from 1990 to 2010, and the UC system didn't contribute at all. Quick math. 20 years? 20 years. Wow. So think about this. It's like someone who is 35, working. They look in their 401k account at their private work, and they say, oh, 35, I got $20,000. Let's make it up. That's some good money. There's money in there. Well, because there's money in there, I, I don't need to contribute. So I'm just going to wait till I'm 55 to contribute. Anybody out there who has done any sort of math, any sort of compounding interest investigation realizes that you're done. You're, that's game over. You can't make up 20 years of a gap of putting nothing in. No, it's impossible. So that's, but to Bobby's point, that's, what happened? That's what they're facing. Now, the really sad part is apparently apparently, this is in better shape than uh, CalPERS and CalSTRS. It's uh, better be- shape. No, no, better. Right, right. We're talking relatives here. It's okay. better. <laughs> it's not good. So they're not in CalPERS? I guess, no, the UC has their own. different system. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It isn't. I'm yeah. going to throw this statistic at you. Shoot. 5,400 people in the U- uh, UC systems received pensions over $100,000. I saw this. Oh, I mean, maybe you were going to go here, but <laughs> but it's interesting. Because of the, retire- the possible retirement age, which I think is 55, I think they just bumped it up, though, for new hires to 60. Oh, good, the new hires. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah they, that's where they've got a big problem is they've, they've had to tier this thing. But let's say that it's 55. If you kind of just back into it with really simple math, if to get that kind of a pension into perpetuity, and I'm sure that they used actuarial tables as to, okay, roughly on average, how long will this male right. or female live? You'd have to have a, uh, you'd have to have a 401k using, you know, pretty, pretty standard, pretty industry accepted withdrawal rates from that retirement account. You'd have to have one that's about two to $3 million. Well, that's a pretty notable 401k uh, if you were to go compare and talk to the average private uh, worker as to what their 401k size is. So you're basically 5,400 retirees have 
in the equivalent private retirement world, notably larger. Oh, I wonder too, like maybe if you work in the office, you retire at whatever, you're 50, 55. 55. But do professors really retire that early? I feel like professors tend to work <laughs> into their no, twilight. No, no well, that's, that's true. Well, it, it depends on the contract that they signed. And most, most, um, most teachers probably only teach once a semester. Right. So it, it, it depends on what they have to do to be obligated, you know, to make that pension obligation. I, I think what's interesting is if you go back and here's some fun reading, the California master plan for education, they named it the master plan. Well, this, yeah, this goes back decades, but the original system was considered cutting edge for its time. And it was one of the first public university systems that got that moved away into a more uh, secular type education out of the religious institutions and stuff like that. And they set it up to be tiered and education was free. Nobody paid any tuition. It was uh, the UCs. You you got automatic acceptance. If you're in the top 12 and a half percent of high school graduation class, you got into the UCs. If you're in the top 33 and a third, 33.3, you got automatic acceptance into the Cal States. We made it, guys. That's right. Well done. Nicely done. And if you weren't there yet, everyone got into community colleges. And then from there, you could go and get automatic acceptance out of community college as a junior into the UCs or the Cal States. Got it. Which on its face seems like an awesome plan. Like everybody goes to college. But then... And the UC started separating themselves for being research institutions. You couldn't get a doc, a doctoral degree at a Cal State right. or a CC. But now we've got a little bit more blurring of the lines with Cal States teaming up with UCs to get their students doctorates. The Cal States give masters of all varieties. And the Cal States created more ready for the workforce, and the UCs created more ready for theory. And so you inherently came out of Cal State's ready to work with a job and you came out of the UCs with a great philosophical mind on whatever, or you're a doctor, huge in the doctor side of it. Um, Cal being the first UC, Cal gets the moniker of just being the University of California. But I think what's crazy is we moved away from this plan of free education into how much was the tuition rate? 12,500, uh, some on average. Right. Yeah. So tuition's gone up. Tuition keeps going up. It came down half a percent, which is Don't forget like, that's a subsidized amount. Oh, yeah. Right. No, that's an in-state. Uh, you and or your parents have been paying taxes. Right. For sure. I think the plan's good. I'm trying to figure out, even outside of pensions, these places that have $2 billion in deferred maintenance... Where else did the money go? Like, even if you took pensions out of it, well, I don't think this stuff gets handled. Like, I don't think if you, let's say you eliminated pensions, right? All of a sudden, Cal gets $700 million in deferred comp and, uh, I'm sorry, not deferred comp, and deferred Ma- infrastructure. Uh, uh, right, maintenance, yeah. And, yeah, and UCLA gets their $700 million mm-hmm. in, in deferred maintenance. Like, I don't see that money just getting pumped back into the facilities. Oh yeah, no. Right. 
So, I mean, I, I think it's easy to say, and this is a lot of pension liability that had nobody paying into it. Right. Like, I get that. That's crazy. Yeah. But I don't feel like even if you had that $15 billion, you'd have these... Oh, I see. All these point. holes filled. Uh, understood. It's going to flow towards larger pay, towards fill in the blank before it goes to. No one wants to be tough, Tony. No one wants to do the things that have to be done, spend on what has to be spent, building maintenance, etc. Right? People would rather cut contracts and greater pay, and it's more fun. Well, and you you also just get into the whole. These are bastions of. Marxist liberal thing. No. And the majority of these degrees, you come out with a job that will never get you what it, what it took to get the degree. Right. I mean, you'll never make enough to pay the degree off. Let me share with you something that happened to my friend recently. And she, uh, she became a psychiatrist, someone not related to you, Louie. And she's uh, practicing. I mean, she's, she just, she just, Oh, cool. Um, she just became a full fledged psychologist. Well, hold on. Psychiatrist, MD, psychologist, doctorate. Okay, I might be confused. Is she a doctor? She's a doctor. Like a medical doctor? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Oh. So, psychiatrist. Okay, psychiatrist. Good clarification, though. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anywho, um, she just got hired on from UC Berkeley, of all places. And she did her her preliminary study, and they liked it. And they decided to hire her on, and tenure was included. And we're talking a six-figure salary. Straight out of the gate. Tenure. Straight out of the gate. She's never teached before in her life. Okay. Now, she may have, you know, uh, been a teacher's assistant at some point in her college career. But as far as being like a well-respected and renowned professor, no. And this is going on everywhere where you're negotiating tenure when you hire, get hired onto being a teacher at one of the UC schools, and this is probably happening at all universities everywhere, where tenure is included. It's a bargaining chip. It's basically. a bargaining cool. chip. I, I wonder, too, because I couldn't tell by the article, there's a lot of people that work for the UCs that aren't professors, that especially the places that have hospitals and health centers, like UCLA, San Diego, I mean, these have massive health centers of doctors and nurses and employees. I mean, full-on hospitals, surgeons. So maybe if I look at 5,400 people in the system with a pension over 100K, well, are we talking about a doctor that retired from the university? Like a medical doctor, right? I mean, uh, some of these might right not now. be far-fetched. Okay, here's another story. I read this just the other day. There is a woman called Deborah Kelly, and Deborah Kelly... Uh, pleaded guilty to illegal bribery with uh, Naynor Kang, a former director of fixed income and the head of portfolio strategy at New York State Common Retirement Fund. She was just named, she, after she pleaded guilty, the UC Berkeley's College of Letters and Sciences uh, uh, head of major gifts assistant. So after she pleaded guilty for funneling money for $100 million, of which she uh, gained about 35% of her commission for the pension system, she was thus hired back on by UC Berkeley as a major gifts assistant. So they didn't, they're bringing on this 
very expensive salary, which is Deborah. So she works in a department that gives out major gifts. Exactly. Or receives major gifts, like from donors, or she uh, gives out major gifts. You know, I'm not certain. I'm certain it's probably she's in an area where in. big chunks of money come through. Uh, big Whether chunks in of money out. come through. Yeah. I'm sure it's coming in. Okay. But and she's going to make a commission off that. I get that, but I don't think that answers my question. Like there there's a, a giant group of people that are outside of the school part. To your uh, I saw a list maybe a week ago and it had the top uh pension earners of the UC system. I don't remember the list perfectly, but honestly, if memory serves, the top few former professors and and admin. Uh, there probably were some medical professionals on there, but but it's really sticking in my head that it was like former VP of such and such, you know, at UCLA, or and they had struck these side benefit deals that said if you stay on this long, your pension will be this. If you stay on, miraculously, they stayed on just as long enough to get the maximum that their contract offered, and they bailed. Right. But I don't think it was, I, I, I see your point, but I just don't think the list was riddled with medical professionals. I think I, it was these admin and bureau, bureaucrats, et cetera. Right. Well, it was like the the last head of the UC system. He he only held on long enough in order to get his special and like negotiated yeah. and negotiated right. uh, pension plan, of which he, he only had to work seven seven years in that job to do it. And he didn't even work really seven years. But But everyone does that. I mean, I, I don't I don't get the the gripe in. Well, he he retired as soon as he could at the max he was supposed to get. I agree with you. The problem he is the did contract, exactly what he wanted to guy. do. Yeah, I agree with you. And he even said that when he's been interviewed, he said, "That's the marketplace. Go talk to the people who hired me. The, those are the people that should be responsible to technically to you, the citizen, you, the taxpayer." And it's true. And he's right. Uh, I mean, I, this all, this happens in other sectors too. I mean, for public safety, at least on PERS, your pension is the average of your three highest years at a base over time is not factored into your yeah. pension. Like oh. I want to clear that up. Sure. Sure. But people will wait till their twilight years to promote to these chief spots because no one really wants to be like a chief. People want to still do things and put out fire. Nobody wants to ride a desk for 20 years. So they wait till their twilight to promote and then wait the period and uh, yeah and the one their last three years at that rank that pays more it's not going to be as fun sure but it pays more and they're they're qualified to pass sure. promotional tests and, and promote i mean i don't whether whether you did it then or you promoted 10 years ago and then worked 10 years in your three highest years or somewhere in that 10 years they're all maybe kind of the same mm-hmm. i just don't get the the gripe on somebody retiring when they can all right. Makes sense. Is it time? Sure. For the James Wrap Woods it up. Tweet of the Week. Yeah, we're sticking to that one. We still are. It's starting to grow on me. Probably not you guys, but it is on me. Okay. This is a good one. Our old buddy, Michael Moore. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. I don't call him a buddy. Oh, oh okay. okay. I'm not your buddy guy. So he tweets out, I have asked my distributor not to book my film in any theater in North Carolina due to their bigoted law against LGBTQ people. They have agreed. James Woods responds to him. If you like having the choice of withholding service to those whom you disagree, 
don't go into the wedding cake business. Stick with Democrat propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, just to, to finish on that topic real quick, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, with the Sarah Huckabee Sanders restaurants, it's kind of now uh, getting more solidified and more acceptable because it's happening with pro-Trump people that if someone doesn't want to serve, if someone doesn't want to provide a service, okay, Sarah Huckabee Sanders didn't sue, she didn't go to the Supreme Court. It, it's the, you start to see the real... The real motivation is the moral platitudes and the Bingo. righteousness that Bingo. one side feels over the other. Exactly. It's okay to discriminate because I'm coming from a, what I believe is a position of righteousness. How you feel. I exactly. am protected from any sort of specific laws. It's whatever you may bring against me that's true. I'm shielded from all that because I have the moral high ground. Right. Yeah. And, and, and now it's a battle of moral high grounds and you're never going to get anywhere with that. On that note, this marks the end of another episode. Next week's going to be a little delayed due to some summer hiatus. Instead of coming out Wednesday, we'll be out on Friday at 8 a.m. Catch us normally. Drop a new episodes 8 a.m. on Apple iTunes and on the Google Store.